Okay, we are in Ruth chapter 1, and that's after Judges, so Ruth comes after Judges, which is after Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy is a rather large book, the fifth book, and then comes Judges, and then Ruth. If you've, if you've hit 1 Samuel, you've gone too far. So it's right after Judges, right before 1 Samuel. So let's pick it up from Ruth chapter 1, verse 7. So she departed from the place where she was and her two daughters-in-law with her, and they went on their way to return to the land of Judah. And Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, Go, return each of you to her mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with me, as you have dealt with the dead and with me. May the Lord grant you that you may find rest each in the house of her husband. Then she kissed them, and they lifted up their voices and wept. And they said to her, No, but we will surely return with you to your people. But Naomi said, Return, my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb, that they may be your husbands? Return, my daughters. Go, for I am too old to have a husband. If I said I have hope, if I should even have a husband tonight and also bear sons, Would you therefore wait until they were grown? Would you therefore refrain from marrying? No, my daughters, for it is harder for me than for you, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. And they lifted up their voices and wept again, and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or to turn back from following you, for where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people, your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. Thus may the Lord do to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. And when she saw that she was determined to go, she said no more to her. Okay, so we talked about last time how Ruth had, in, how Naomi had encouraged, encouraged Ruth and Orpah to return, to go back to their mother's house, and their mother's house speaking of the place where they were to be remarried, releasing them to remarry because their husbands had died. And so now we have three widows living together, Ruth's husband, uh, and then Ruth's uh, I'm sorry, Naomi's husband and Naomi's two sons have all died. And she blesses them in verse 9, and how she talked about them finding rest and peace, and to return to the people, and that they'd find peace in their new home. And we talked extensively last time about the blessing that comes through service. But they insisted on going back with her. And so Naomi pushes it again. She says, return my daughters. Why should you go with me? Have I yet sons in my womb that they should be your husband? Your your husbands? And so she again urges them. This is the second urging. So the first time they refused. And she blessed them, but they yet refused. And then she she tells them to go again and... and, uh, uh, 
they had refused. And then, so she asks this rhetorical question. She says, have I yet sons in my womb that they should be your husbands? And so then again, in verse 12, she says to them again, return my daughters. You see the heart that she has for these young ladies. She calls them her daughters. You know, women, you can pray. You can begin to pray now that God would give you a good mother-in-law, good parents-in-law. Women, you can begin to pray that. Men, you can begin to pray that your parents-in-law would be good people, good folks. So, for example, if you never had really the father that you wished you had had that would, had raised you and spent time with you and talked with you, pray that you get that through marriage. Pray that you get the mother-in-law or the father-in-law that would replace or at least strengthen something that is good in your life. This is a good thing to pray for. I know that, that I, I didn't come from a Christian home and I married in to a very good Christian family. And I know what my father-in-law meant to me. And the hours that he and I had sitting around and speaking scriptures to one another and sharing passages with one another. And to this day, we still do that. I know that what I've learned from my mother-in-law, her deep abiding faith, and how she always has good things to say about people. And so I know where my wife got those qualities. And to be able to have a mother-in-law like that. And though I have a good relationship with my own mother and father, I didn't have it through the faith until much later on. My mother was in her 70s when she came to know the Lord. But I had it through my mother-in-law and my father-in-law. And through that, I was greatly blessed. You can pray that God gives that to you. And so she says, return my daughters in verse 12. Go. I am too old to have a husband. And if I should say that I have hope, if even I should have a husband tonight and also bear sons, would you therefore wait until they are grown? So in other words, again, she speaks rhetorically. She says that, that even if I have hope for getting another husband, I'm really too old for that. I'm too old to remarry. And even if I could get another husband today, um, and two sons were to be born, would you really wait for them to be your Redeemer? Because in Israel, what would happen, because according to Israeli law, if a man died leaving a wife without any children, then the brother was supposed to marry this woman and bear a child through this woman on behalf of the deceased brother. It wasn't supposed to be another relative as we're going to see later on, occurs. This was an extra kind act of Boaz. The law commanded specifically it was to be done by a brother, not by some other kinsman. So it was a tradition of the time that had come in, but the law specifically said it should be done by a brother. And so she again tells them to go. And then she says in verse 13, for the hand of the Lord has gone forth against me. So again, as we talked about two weeks ago in the book of, uh, of Ruth, that Naomi realizes that this judgment that had come upon them was from God. 
And, and uh, she recognizes this probably for their having left the land. Even though there was a famine, God was going to take care of Israel. There was no instruction for them to leave the land as there had been in the two other, disper- in, in the two other deportations. One, the Assyrian for the north and the other, the Babylonian for the south, where God specifically said, go, through the prophets. He said, go with them. So in verse 14, it says, and they lifted up their voices and wept again. So this is the second time they're weeping together. So you see this affection that there was between Naomi and Ruth and Orpah. The two of them cared very much for this woman. There was a strong relationship, a strong bond of relationship. The other thing that you can begin to pray, and it is never too early to begin to get things set up well, is pray that you have good daughter-in-laws and son-in-laws. Pray that you get that. I pray all the time for my children that they would find good spouses in God's time after God's own choosing. Pray that you'd have that relationship. And so I have this blessing of having this wonderful son-in-law that I love to speak with. And so he, he knows so much scripture and he understands the Hebrew language and the nuances. And just to be able to talk with him. And I, I'll call him in Israel and I'll say, tell me, what does this verse mean? Read it in your, in your Hebrew Bible and tell me, what does this word mean? And to me, this is so much fun to have. I mean, if I had a son-in-law who was a chemist, I mean, you know, you can only talk so much chemistry all day. I mean, I have lots of other chemists that I can talk to, but to have this resource, I am so blessed to have a son-in-law like this. And I'm happy to have this guy as part of the family. And, and, and he was so kind, and, and even when he wanted to marry my daughter, before he would propose to her, he called me. And he talked with me and he asked me my permission. I mean, what kind of quality men are there that do this? They're like, no, I know what I'm doing. And they just, you know, grab this girl. But no, he would, he would just call me from Israel and talk with me. And, and, you know, I just played this game with him. I said, well, you know, okay, you know, I, I know she likes you and everything. But I'm going to have to hear from her. Have her call me. I want <laughs> so, ten minutes later, she calls me back and she says, Dad... You know, this is, we're in this together, you know. I said, I know, I just wanted to make sure, I just wanted to clear it with you. I, I didn't want to, you know, commit you to the, to the, to, uh, uh, Laser Wolf, the butcher, only to find out that you really love the, the tailor. And so if you've seen Fiddler on the Roof, you'll know what I'm talking about. The father had committed her to the wrong guy. I said, I didn't want to just commit you to the wrong guy, for all I know you love a tailor, <laughs> not this guy. And so she laughed, and I laughed, and I said, are you okay with this? And we talked for a while, and then I said, okay, have him call me. So five minutes later, he calls me back. <laughs> but, and I shared with him, his, with him my concerns, and I talked with his father as well. And, and so the two of us had similar sorts of concerns, he being still in school and how they were going to work things out. And, but to be able to have that meant so much to me. It wasn't as if some man was coming in and saying, Hey, Pops, you know, <laughs> going to be marrying your daughter, huh? <laughs> you know, that could have happened. I mean, these sort of things can happen. But this relationship, pray that God gives this. These things don't happen just by chance. Pray that God gives this. 
And He'll be gracious to you. He'll be gracious. Remember, we do not receive because we do not ask. So they lift up their voices and they, they, they wept. So Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Then she said, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Return after your sister-in-law. So look what Orpah did. Orpah loved Naomi and kissed her and then returned. There's nothing wrong with her returning. In fact, Naomi had told her three times to return. She wasn't just abandoning her. She was walking in obedience. Naomi had freed her to remarry. She said, go find rest in your husband's home. She was releasing her back to be remarried among her own people. But then what she says to Naomi is this, Behold, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and her gods. Her gods were the god, was the god Chemosh. This was the Moabite god. It was, it was uh, uh, very different than the god of Israel. And so what you see here is you see that Orpah had a relationship with God's people. But this abiding of the God of Israel was not so much in her heart that Naomi knew that she was going to be going back to her own God. And this, in a way, is a little bit hard for us to understand, but in other cultures, it's not as hard. Let me give you an example. Um, an Indian man said to me, you, you know, I'm, I'm trying to find a, a daughter for my son. I said, well, very important to your son. And this Indian man had recently come to faith and, and, uh, in, in the Lord Jesus. And I said, well, it's important that, that, we, that whatever, you, whatever daughter, whatever woman that you identify for your son, and marriages are arranged in, the, in, in this culture, in the Indian culture. Still to this day, many marriages are arranged. And I know that sounds foreign to us here in the United States, but remember, we are the anomaly. They are not. There's a lot more people in the world that go by arrangement than, than uh, people that don't. And certainly that's traditionally been the case. So, I said, it's important that you find someone who's a believer. And he says, oh, we'll make her into a believer. So, y- y- you see this mindset that you can just get the girl converted for the son. This sort of converting for convenience. And I know this sounds very strange, but among people of that culture, it is not that strange sounding. But what you see is this Moabite woman was now going to turn back away from the God of Israel and go back to her own gods. And so it was a relationship with the God of Israel out of convenience for her former husband. This sort of thing does happen today in our culture in a little bit different manner. So, for example, a, a young, young man is interested in a young woman. And he finds out that this young woman likes to go to church a lot. So he starts going to church a lot. He never was before. But all of a sudden, he is now. You see what I mean? And then, and then, uh, uh, then, You know, he starts coming more into this only because of her, and then they break up, and he no longer goes to church. So you may have heard of this sort of thing happening. This sort of thing happens today, 
where people will take on some sort of religious attitude out of convenience for another person or out of a relationship. But the depth isn't there. Now, what can sometimes happen? And that if a girl loves the Lord and a guy starts getting interested in this girl, if this guy really comes to the Lord, very often he will surpass her in fervor for the Lord. This is also not unusual, unusual in the United States. When men come to know the Lord because they were interested in a woman and they really come to know the Lord, they often surpass in their zeal for the Lord than even the woman had. That I have seen on many occasions. And in fact, I was talking with one pastor and he, he had mentioned independently the same thing, the same observation that he had had. So, it may start out out of convenience of relationship, but it, but it actually may supersede what the original person had and become even far more zealous. This can happen. But what we are commanded in the New Testament is that we marry within the faith. We marry within the faith. That there are no stipulations upon culture, there are no stipulations upon race. The stipulation is that it must be within the faith within the faith. And whenever I have seen this broken, I have seen trouble. So, young woman finds young man who's very handsome and a nice guy and he tolerates her faith, but he's not of the faith. It is trouble when they get married. It is real trouble when they get married. And, and uh, many, many people have gone through real pain. One young lady who used to be in the class, she she called up and she said, you know, I've met this guy and I want, and she was talking with Shireen, she said, I want Dr. Tour to meet this young man. And Shireen was talking with her for a while. She said, does, does this young man know Jesus? She said, no, but he's a very nice guy. She said, well, you know what Dr. Tour is going to say as soon as he meets him. Well, she never ended up bringing him to the house. And for good reason. I would have challenged it. Because she had what she wanted to have, and she didn't hear what she didn't want to hear what I was about to say. Because all I can say is what the scriptures say. And so when people bring, when someone's in the faith, and they bring somebody else, and I don't know that somebody, somebody else, what I begin to do is I say, "Tell me how you came to know the Lord." And I just want to hear their testimony. I want to hear how they came to know the Lord. And so I, I once asked this to a guy, and he said, Know the Lord? He didn't even understand the terminology that I was using. That's how far off that he was. He didn't even understand the terminology. And I began to share with him, and, and, and I don't know, six months later or something, he came to faith in the Lord. A deep faith in the Lord. But this is what I will ask. I'll ask, and, and, and if it bothers you, you know, don't bring your boyfriend or your girlfriend around. I'm going to do it. I mean, what you should worry about is if I don't do it, if I don't observe this word. And if somebody has, knows the Lord, remember what the Scriptures say. It says, be ready to give a defense for the hope that dwells within you. So it is not improper to ask somebody, tell me about your faith. Tell me about your family. Did you, did you grow up going to church? Okay, did you, did you come to know the Lord at 12 years old in the Baptist church? I mean, how did this happen? 
What was the impact on your life? Or did it happen later in your life? I just want to hear. And then I want to hear what this person is like. Are you active in the church? Tell me about your experience with the church, with the body of Christ. Do you serve? Are you in some sort of campus group? Because by this, I can get an indication whether these people are equally yoked. Number one, does one know the Lord and the other not? Or do they both know the Lord? And if they both know the Lord, are they equally yoked in the Lord? Or is this girl passionately excited about the Lord and the guy is like, eh, I can go back to my God or this God or that God. If I meet a Hindu girl, I'll be a Hindu. You know? This is, this is what, what happened with Orpah. She was going back to her gods. Verse 16, But Ruth said, Do not urge me to leave you or turn back from following you. So look what she says. She says, You know, you are urging me to do this. Stop urging me to do this. For where you go, I will go. Where you lodge, I will lodge. Your people shall be my people and your God, my God. You see the difference in the level of conversion here. Your God is my God. I can't go back to Chemosh. I can't go back to live with a people that have stopped worshipping the Lord. I can't do it. I can't turn back anymore. This is, there's something deep here for me that I can't turn back on. This is what you want. Young ladies, this is what you want in a husband. Young men, this is what you want in a wife. Somebody who is so committed that there's no turning back. I can't turn my back on this thing. I have known it too deeply. This means too much to me. I'm telling you, this is what you want. If you don't want it now, there will come a time when you really want this. Because you'll be wrenching in your marriage saying, I wish this spouse of mine would love Jesus more. I wish this husband of mine would love Jesus more and stop going fishing every Sunday and saying, well, it's a good time for me to go out with my sons. No, it's a good time for you to be with your sons in church and to demonstrate to your sons what it is to walk in faith and commitment to the, to the commitment to the body of Christ. This is what you will be wrenching for in your heart. Or young men, that you have a wife that really honors God. That church is a, is, a, is a thing that is exciting to her. That service to the Lord is exciting. This is what you will long for. Even if you don't long for it now, I am telling you what you will long for. And not that I am a prophet. It has only been by experience. I have seen so many young families go through things. So based on experience, I know that as you get older, your hair is going to turn gray. You say, how do you know that? You're not a prophet. I am not a prophet, but based on experience, I know that your hair is going to turn gray as you get older. Every one of you, I know that. Your hair is going to turn gray. I know that your knees are going to start to give you some trouble when you go upstairs. You know, how do I know that? I just know that that's going to happen. I know what you're going to long for in marriage. You're going to long for a partner that is committed to the Lord, that demonstrates to your children a love for God. That's what you're going to long for. You're going to long for a partner that has spiritual gifts and that exercises those spiritual gifts in the body of Christ. That's what you're going to long for. Maybe now you don't see it. What you see 
in, in, in a potential spouse is what they look like. Can you talk with them a little bit? But what you're going to see in the future, what you're going to long for are the things that I am telling you. And so she says, I am committed to you. I'm committed to you, Naomi. I will care for you. Where you lodge, I'm going to lodge. I am going to be with you. They cared about this widow woman. Ruth was a widow herself. She was a young widow. But here was an old widow who didn't have the possibility of remarrying, who didn't have the possibility of going and gathering food herself. She said, I will care for you. And I can't leave my God. I can't return to my people. You want to be able to love God so much that you can't go back and live in the unbelieving community from which you might have come. You can't do that. I know that when I came to know the Lord, I grew up in a Jewish home and I didn't want to go back. I couldn't go back to that community to live amongst those people. To go to the synagogue every week. I couldn't do it. That was, that was a, a cloak that no longer fit me. I had to be among believers. This was my new community. These were my people. I had to be among them. Not that I can't visit them. I have a great relationship with my mother and father. We speak every week by the phone. By, by phone. Every Sunday morning we talk together. And, but I had to live and be with my own people, with people of faith, with people of like faith. I had to be there. This is what she says. Your God is now my God. It can't change. I can't go back to Chemosh. Look what she's doing. And it says that, that uh, in verse 18, And when she saw that she was determined to go with her, she said, no more. Because she had said um, in verse 17, Thus may the Lord do so to me, and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. She took upon herself a curse. She said, if anything parts you and me, may evil come upon me. May evil come upon me. If anything but death parts you and me. You see this commitment, this oath that she took. She took. When Naomi heard this oath, she, she backed off. She says, I'm not going to try to get this young girl to leave because she has taken an oath upon herself. She's taken an oath. She says, may the Lord do so to me and worse, if anything but death parts you and me. Because she said in verse 17, where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord do so to me and worse, if anything parts you and me. This is a common saying in the Old Testament. David said this several times. He made a commitment, he, he, he made a commitment just like this. For example, that he was going to uh, do something concerning Nabal. Uh, uh, Saul made a commitment like this, concerning judgment that he was going to enact upon his son, which he ultimately didn't enact. In David's case, God enacted it, and, and uh, David did not have to, concerning Nabal. Uh, uh, Eli said the same sort of thing. So this was a common expression in that time. But this was a commitment. Let me tell you a commitment that I made that I cannot break. When I got married, I made a commitment to one woman. And I made a commitment to that woman and to God. That I would be married to that woman for better or for worse. That was a commitment between me and that woman and God. 
I cannot break that commitment. Shireen and I have had our difficulties, but never has divorce been a question. Never has it been an option on the table. Never has. Because I made a commitment to God. She made a commitment to God. Before many witnesses, we made this commitment to each other. It wasn't just something that I was reciting, that a guy said, recite after me, and ah, ha, 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 ha. No, to me, it meant something very, very deep. And to me, I take the Scriptures dead seriously on this. The Scriptures say, whoever goes into another man's wife shall surely be punished. I mean, that's pretty strong. The Bible also says, the mouth of an adulteress is a deep pit. He who is cursed of the Lord falls into it. I mean, that is a frightening, frightening verse. Say, Lord, I don't want to be cursed of you. Lord, I don't want to be cursed of you. My commitment is to one woman. The New Testament also says, fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. I'm going to stay away from that. I made a commitment. There are commitments that we make. I made a commitment to serve God. If you've made a commitment to serve and to honor God, will you turn back? What is the depth of your commitment? Remember, when you marry someone, this is a commitment for life before God that you are testifying before God. This is the person for me. Until death do we part. And this is what what, uh, uh, Ruth was saying. Only death will separate you and me. Once she took this oath, Naomi backed off. Because to her, Naomi knew what the depth of an oath meant. In our culture, we have lost the depth of any oath. We've lost this thing. And I deal with this all the time with my own kids. You You know, I say... For example, I was talking with my son. He says, oh, that football coach is going to such and such a place. I said, how can he do that? He committed, he signed a contract that he would work for this term at this place. He said that he would do that. My son said, oh, in football, none of this counts. He said, no, no, no. He said that he would do this. He even signed a contract saying that he would do this. He signed the contract, and the next day he signed a contract with another place. This was a coach we were talking about. He says, no, in football that's allowed. I said, that's not allowed. This is not allowed. We make commitments. The Bible says we swear to our own hurt. In other words, when there is a commitment given, even if it hurts us to fulfill this, we have to fulfill it, unless you go to this party... And you explain yourself and they release you from that commitment. But there is a commitment that you are going to make in marriage that is for life. This is why I tell you, don't move into this easily. Don't even move into engagement easily. In our culture, engagement is, you know, oh, I was married. I was engaged to that person. I was engaged to that person too. We just in and out of engagements. There are commitments in engagement that I commit myself to you to marry you. And when I got engaged to Shireen, we had an engagement ceremony. 
Because we wanted this thing sealed before witnesses that we were committed to each other. We were going to be apart for one year. We were going to be engaged apart for one year. And we wanted to make this thing sure. There is a commitment that is involved. And it wasn't just the marriage vow that kept me committed to this young lady. It was the engagement that kept me committed. And you know, Joseph was the same way with Mary. He was betrothed to Mary. He was engaged to Mary. It says when she was found to be with child, some Bibles say it was going to be, it said he was going to have to divorce her. Others say put her away secretly. In other words, it wasn't like, oh, well, she's with, you know, she's pregnant. Ah, Mary, it's off. I'm, <laughs> I got another girl I can go with. No, this was a huge deal. This was a huge thing because he was under the impression that she had broken this commitment to him. And then it took an angel to speak to him. But even before the angel spoke, it says he didn't want to disgrace her. So he desired to put her away secretly. He was a righteous because he was a righteous man. Righteousness wants to cover the sins of another. But you see this care that she had for her mother-in-law. This went beyond the call of duty. She was being sent back. But once she made this oath, this sealed it. The oath sealed it. Verse 19, So they both went and they came to Bethlehem. And when they had come to Bethlehem, all the city was stirred because of them. And the woman said, Is this Naomi? And she said, Do not call me Naomi. Call me Mara. For the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. I went out full... But the Lord has brought me back empty. Why do you call me Naomi, since the Lord has witnessed against me and the Almighty has afflicted me? So Naomi returned with Ruth the Moabitess, her daughter-in-law, who returned from the land of Moab, and they came to Bethlehem at the beginning of the barley harvest. So you see that Ruth says, you know, don't call me, uh, I'm sorry, Naomi says, don't call me blessed, which is what her name means. Call me Mara, which is, which is bitter. Call me bitter, which was a common thing to do that the names were, were, were fulfilling. And she says, because the Lord, has, has, the Almighty has dealt very bitterly with me. Again, she recognized that this didn't happen just by chance. I didn't, I didn't go out full and come back empty just by chance. I didn't go out full and come back empty. Here she says, I went out full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Remember, she, it was a famine time. She wasn't, her belly wasn't full, but she considered herself full because she had a husband and two sons. Remember, what the things that fill us, that satisfy us, our, fullness is, our fullness is not just money. It is not just things that we have. It is the quality of life that we have one with another. This is what she recognized as fullness. I had a husband and I had two sons and I'm coming back now empty. This is emptiness. To lose the quality of life that she had. And she recognized that this was the hand of the Lord. This didn't happen just by chance. Things don't happen just by chance. God is very intimately involved with her life. And then in verse 23, she returned with Ruth the Moabitess. It doesn't say Ruth the Jew. Jew was nationality. Ruth's nationality was a Moabite, and she was always referred to as Ruth the Moabite. She was a, she converted to the Jewish practices, but nationality was Jewishness. So she was Ruth the Moabitess, 
even after her conversion. She was Ruth the Moabitess. So being Jewish is not something that you convert into. You convert into the practices of Judaism. It's like saying, oh, today I think I'll start becoming, I'll start being an African American. Have a hard time. It's not something you can, you can start just doing. This is something that comes by nationality. This is something that comes by origin. And so, this Jewishness that Ruth had was by conversion to a religion, to a practice to follow God, which is a good thing to do. But Jewishness, always in the Scriptures, always in the Scriptures, speaks of something that came through descendancy of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Let's close. Father, thank You so much for the truth of Your Word. And Father, I pray for these young people that they would make, first of all, a depth of commitment to You that cannot change. That they cannot abandon. Even if the economy is tough, even if things should go wrong, they would not abandon this commitment that they have with You. And Father, I pray that You would so work in their lives and turn them so close to You that they would make commitments and honor them, especially the commitment in marriage, that they would understand the depth of this. Father, I pray that they would begin to pray that You would bring to them spouses that love God, that honor God, the things that they would treasure in the future. Father, I pray for the grace of God to be there. Lord, I pray that they would begin to set their hearts to love what You love, to honor what You honor. And through that, Father, You would give them good and fruitful lives that through them, many other people would be drawn to Jesus and be blessed. Father, thank You for the truth of Your Word. In the name of Jesus. Amen.